Kids, I want to start with a, a story from my life for you. And uh, it's a little bit embarrassing, and I wonder if I should share it, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, so, kids, I don't know how you do listening to your parents, obeying their instructions, trusting them to know what they're talking about, know what's good for you. But I know when, when I was little and, and still trying to figure out where to go to potty, um, and my parents would tell me where the right place to go was, go to the bathroom, go sit in the little potty. And I thought I knew better than them. I thought it was better just to, I don't know why, what it was, I just didn't want to listen to them. I, I think I, I was mad at them for, I don't even know what reason. And so I decided what was best for myself and for everyone was that when I needed a potty, I would just go wherever I was in the house. Now that was not too pleasant for my parents, having to clean up after me like I was a dog, just untrained and going wherever I wanted to go. And very soon I learned that that wasn't too good for me too. Like it was better for me to just go to the bathroom and go to the little potty like they were trying to tell me to listen to their words of uh, wisdom and advice on how to live life, how one goes to the bathroom. Now, it might sound like a really silly example, but I know that as you grow up, kids, there will probably be more times, because this has happened to every child as they grew up, as they became a teenager, as they become an adult, that you begin to question, do your parents really know what they're talking about? And maybe you just completely trust them right now, and that's great. But I'm sure there'll come a time where you'll, you'll think, maybe you know better than they do. And that's really the tension that we have in our relationship with God as well. God gives us his truth. He gives us his wisdom. He gives us his commands. And he says, here in these commands and laws and truth is where you find life. This is what is good. This is what is beautiful. This is what is right. And we as grown-ups and kids alike, we sometimes read scripture and we hear God's word and we think, does God really know what he's talking about? Maybe I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. And yet this passage today, Psalm 81, reminds us that God is the heavenly father, the perfect parent who does know what is good and true and right and what will bring us life. And so I hope um, that you know this about God as well. And it is, it's, it's always going to be this, this journey in our, our relationship with God to learn to trust God's words and his commands and his laws and know that there's life in them and that there's life to be found in Jesus and what he did on the cross as well. So I hope that for you, and if you continue to listen in, you'll, you'll hear more about what it means to listen to God and that listening to God really is, is trusting in the words that he gives us and living them out. So kids, I hope you stay on and, and continue listening in, but if your, your parents excuse you, that's fine as well. Um, but we're gonna dive into Psalm 81 right now. Grown-ups and kids alike, we're, again, we're looking at Psalm 81, and, and really the main point for today is let's listen to God because God is the perfect parent. Let's listen to God because God is the perfect parent. This psalm can be broken down into two main sections. Verses 1 through 5a is essentially a praise section. And we can see described in beautiful language the psalm is calling God's people to praise God with song and tambourine and harp and lyre and most importantly with joy. And then verses 5b through 16 can be categorized as a preaching section 
where we literally hear God speak in the first person to his people, calling them to faithfulness to the covenant that they've made with, with him, this covenant relationship that God's people had with God. And he's calling them to be faithful, to listen to the life that can be found in this covenant. And so for, for this reason, um, for these reasons, this psalm can be considered a prophetic hymn. Not prophetic in the sense of predicting something in the future, prophetic in the sense of telling God's people about what is true and holding them to what is true. And the theme of this uh, psalm can be, very well be summarized in verse 18, where God says, oh, that my people would listen to me. In fact, the word listen here in this verse occurs five times in the 16 verses in this psalm. And theologian Mark Futado says about this Psalm 81 in his commentary, he says this, God longs for us to listen to him because he knows that when we listen, we live. We live the abundant life that he has created for us. So we're gonna explore this Psalm today and how it teaches us about listening to God and what does it mean to listen to God. And we're gonna look at it from two perspectives. First, we're gonna look at it from the perspective of listening to God from a human perspective, from the human perspective. And then we're gonna look at listening to God from God's perspective. And, and both are portrayed in this psalm. Now, what has been going on around us in our culture um, and this encouragement to listen, to learn and lament um, and I think it would be good, given that this is what's being talked about in our culture right now, that we as Christians begin. What, what does it even mean to listen to God and to begin with listening to God and trust God to be the one who speaks truth into our hearts, who convicts us where it needs to be convicted, um, even while we're listening to the voices around us and grappling with uh, what is true. Again, as, as, we, as I talked about in the beginning introduction to the kids, Let's think about, let's liken our relationship to God as a relationship between parent and child. And, and clearly, we call, we call God our heavenly father, so that's, that's a, not a stretch by any means. So think of your relationship with your earthly parent. Or if you are a parent, think of your relationship with your earthly child. Or if, if you don't have kids, imagine what it would be like um, to have a child and what your relationship with that child will be like one day. And I think we know instinctively, intuitively, that listening is not just hearing the words that our parents speak to us. Listening is not just regurgitating back to our parents the words they speak to us. Listening is not just understanding the words that our parents speak to us. Listening is not even just blindly doing what our parents tell us to do. To truly listen to our earthly parents means much more than hearing, regurgitating, understanding, and blindly doing. How much more so then, as we talk about listening to God, that it is so much, so much more than just hearing and knowing the word of God. So as we dig into today's passage, we're gonna see what God teaches us about what it means to listen to God. So listening to God from the human perspective first. And we're gonna see um, it portrayed in, and again, these Five, there's these five different occasions where this word listen is used, and we're going to look at um, a few of them. First of all, listening to God is in the context of praising God. Again, this, this uh, psalm begins in verses one through three with, um, 
this relationship with God where uh, the psalmist and the God's people is, is, is um, worshiping God, praising God with harp, lyre, tambourine, and singing. So we're, we're reminded that listening to God, and it may, may sound very obvious to say this, listening to God begins with relationship with God. And if it starts with a relationship with God, then it is about a relationship where we, 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 we recognize, we appreciate, and we adore God for who he is and um, the truth that he teaches us. We may not always feel like singing praises to God or singing songs to God or delighting in God. And as we've looked at so far in our Summer in the Psalms series, sometimes all we can do is just cry out to God and lament in grief and in anger. But even when we do that, when we lament, we are lamenting in relationship with the loving, good, and sovereign God. And when we do that, that too is faith. That too is worship when we do that. And so when we praise God, we do so in relationship with the God whom we worship. And therefore, we remember that listening to God begins with praising God. But secondly, listening to God is willing to be corrected by God. In Psalm, I mean, so in verse eight, it says, hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would but listen to me. Think about this. Don't you hate defensive people? Let's be honest. People who give, who, people who when you give any kind of correction or constructive criticism, that they immediately go to explaining why they did what they did, why they aren't as bad as you think they are, why the circumstances were not conducive to their best performance, or even why you were just plain wrong about your observation. It's even worse sometimes when we actually have some kind of formal authority over that person to teach them or to train them in whatever role we have over them, yet they can't seem to receive what we're trying to say to them, even in a, in a calm um, and gentle conversation. And often we just label those people unteachable. And so we're very good at spotting people who are being defensive. We're very good at noticing an unteachable spirit in others, and yet we don't often notice that in ourselves when we are being defensive, when others are speaking truth to us, when we have an unteachable spirit to examine some big, big thing or big issue in, in the world and in our life. And so we hear in this psalm in verse 8 that listening to God is being willing to be corrected by God. Thirdly, listening to God is submitting to God. Verse 11 says, But my people did not listen to my voice, Israel would not submit to me. I've said this before. The idea of submitting to anyone or anything is just not very popular today. We feel like nothing and no one can be trusted. We are cynical of conspiracies all around us and people's motives. We see power grabs and money grabs left, right, and center. Submitting is hard because the world is broken and people are sinful. But God is perfectly loving and good. We may have to wrestle with what is true in scripture. We may have to wrestle what is true about God. Nonetheless, the starting point for our relationship with God is that God calls for people to submit to him. And if we believe he exists, that he is far bigger than us, far wiser than us, much better than us, then we must submit to him. Submitting to God means obedience to God but it's not a blind obedience. And it's, a, it's an obedience based on, again, relationship. It's based on dependence on him, based on trusting 
him, trusting that his ways are better than our ways, depending on him with a heart that is bent towards trusting, loving, acknowledging, listening to him. So again, we hear here that listening to God means submitting to God. Fourthly, listening to God is walking in God's ways. Verse 13 says, Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Listening to God, the willingness to be corrected by God, being, uh, being willing to, be, to submit to God is a result, has to result in walking in God's ways. Otherwise, it's just empty talk on our behalf or empty knowledge in our heads. And we hear in Scripture throughout, Old Testament and New Testament, Ezekiel prophecies about how we need to be given hearts of flesh to replace our hearts of stone, that Jesus teaches us that we need to be cleansed from the inside out, that Paul says we've been brought from darkness to light. Of course, Jesus says that as well. So the change that God wants to do must begin from the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And that begins with faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the change from the inside must also produce fruit on the outside, in our words, in our actions, in the way we relate to people and love people, the way we we engage in this world. Walking in God's ways does not mean that the goal is to walk perfectly in God's ways in this life because we know that this life is broken and that we'll always struggle with sin inside of us. None of us are capable of that perfectly walking with God, walking in God's ways. And that's why we know we need Jesus. But walking in God's ways means that Christians will consistently try to walk in God's ways, to examine the things that we think are right and good and see whether God challenges us in that to consistently turn our listening to God to walking in God's ways, to to walking in love and not selfishness. And we acknowledge, too, that walking in God's ways is not empowered by our steely willpower, but instead by hearts transformed by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. We're called to cooperate with that Holy Spirit within us that we might walk in God's ways more and more. So we hear again that walking in God's ways, uh, listening to God can be summarized with these four things. Walking in God's ways, being willing to be corrected by God, um, to to be willing to submit to God and in the uh, context of relationship with God. But this psalm also shows us what it means to listen to God from God's perspective, the way that God relates to us, his people. Now, I want you to think of it in terms of five heavenly parenting techniques, if you will. So I'll just list them real quick, and we'll look at the verses that point to that. One, God lovingly responds to our cries. Two, God lovingly warns us of danger. Three, God lovingly promises abundance. Four, God lovingly lets us suffer consequences. And five, God lovingly longs to bless. So let's look at each of these um, and see how this, this text points us to that. In verse seven, it says this, in distress you called and I delivered you. We're pointed to this picture of how God lovingly responds to our cries. And specifically, the psalmist, again, like the past two psalms we looked at, is looking back at this great work of salvation where God mightily delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. And so in the same way for us, we're called to look back on the great work of salvation in our life as Christians. We look back to the cross of Jesus Christ, 
where we were delivered from slavery to sin. And that is the power in which we have to live our life when we look again and again to this great work of salvation of God in our life. And so we see both in this psalm, but also for us that, that we see that the heavenly father is responsive to our cries. He hears our cries for help. He relieves the burden of slavery from our shoulders and he frees our hands from serving sin to serve him instead. We are already loved by the heavenly father. We have already been set free by his great work of salvation from the greatest danger possible. Secondly, we see that God lovingly warns us. In verses nine, verse nine we hear this, you shall not bow down to a foreign God. The heavenly father knows that our hearts our idol factories, but he loves us too much to allow us to self-destruct. And we have to remember that self-destruction is far more than just destroying our lives through alcohols and drug and infidelity. But the Heavenly Father knows that there are far more paths that lead to self-destruction than just those things. The Father knows that there is a way to self-destruct while looking perfectly respectable on the outside. The Father knows that there's a self-destruction that is not just temporal, but eternal. The Father knows that when we look primarily to a created thing or a created person for life, for purpose, for meaning, that that foreign God will draw us away from him, the Heavenly Father. And we know this in our relationship with our own children. If we love our children, then we care how they turn out. We care to teach them about faith and life, about relationships, about, about work, about how the world works, about the right way to go in life. And when we teach our children, when we correct our children, when we warn our children, we hope they will not just hear our words. We hope that they will take our words to heart, that they will think about how they need to change and that they would actually seek to change. We hope that they will internalize the truth, the warning that we have spoken to them. We don't want them to ignore our words of warnings. Even worse, we don't want to see them hurt themselves in in exactly the way that we thought they could hurt themselves. Again, how much more does the Heavenly Father feel that way for us? And so God lovingly warns us of danger in this life. God also lovingly promises abundance to us. Verse 10 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. For me, when I hear this last phrase again, hear first that this is very similar to the words that God gave to Moses to speak to Israel before he gave them the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. But then here's the promise. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And what I imagine when I hear this, I I think of the mummy birds stuffing the baby birds with worms, but that's kind of gross. So then I also think of how my my wife loves Ready Whip. And so sometimes just out of fun, the kids will come over and my wife would just squirt their mouths full of Ready Whip and just to see their faces fill with delight and their mouths uh, at the same time as their mouths are being filled with Ready Whip. I imagine that. I also imagine this. Uh, I love meat. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people also love meat. But so for a meat lover like me, what I think of is a Brazilian barbecue where you get to go and have as much meat as possible, 17 different kinds of meats, 
and just, just have this feast of opening up your mouth wide and having it filled. That's the kind of promise that the Heavenly Father gives us of abundance. And it's not an empty promise. It's a promise based on his faithfulness, based on his past works of salvation and, and provision. And it's based on his love for his people. And so for us as Christians, our hope is that we have been set free from slavery to sin, filled with the fullness of Christ, and one day to enter the new heaven and new earth through faith in Christ. That is the abundance that we hold on to. And so again, we see that God lovingly promises abundance to us. God also lovingly lets us suffer consequences. We don't like this one as much. Being promised abundance sounds much better, but verse 12 says, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. We long for the new heaven and new earth, but we know we're also still in exile. We're exiles in this broken world still. Even as parents, we, we recognize that more and more, um, we recognize more and more that we, we can't just control our kids into behaving the way we want them to. We also can't just bail them out of trouble every time they get into trouble. We have to honor their dignity and their freedom to make their own choices, especially the older they get as they grow into independent um, beings. We have to allow life's consequences to be their best teacher. If we control them, we risk exasperating them and driving them to greater rebellion if we bail them out every time they get into trouble, we risk um, raising entitled brats. And it's just, it's hard. It's hard as parents to allow your kids to suffer the consequences of even their own choices. We want to protect them from that kind of pain. But when we as parents lovingly give our kids increasing freedom to make their own choices and to suffer the consequences of the wrong choices, then they will begin to learn for themselves what is good. They will internalize through the experience of those consequences what is right. And the story of scripture is really much the same. The story of God's people throughout scripture. The heavenly father continues to honor the choice that he gives his children again and again, lovingly letting them suffer the consequence of their own choices and their own counsel, and yet ultimately to deliver them again and again because of his love for them. We, ha we have a hard time holding those things in tension, and yet God does so. Lastly, we see that God lovingly longs to bless. Verse 16 says, but he would feed you with the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. You know, we might think of Israel in the wilderness and what they were provided with was water and manna. And yet God says he longs to bless us. He wants to give us the finest of wheat. He wants to give us honey, not just water to drink. He promises us, he promises to bless us and that his heart is bent towards blessing us. And so the heavenly father calls us to listen to him in the context of praising him in a context of willing to be corrected by him, submitting to him and walking in his ways, and yet the Father's heart towards us never changes. 
He calls us to return to him again and again. He calls us to draw near to him again and again. He calls us to listen to him, to truly listen to him from the inside out, to truly to listen to him in a way that changes us as we consistently and persistently seek to live in his ways. But we have to remember as we come back to the gospel that the Father knows we can't do it in our own strength. He knows our rebellious hearts. The Father knows that he had to send his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on the cross for our sins because only Jesus is the one who listens to his Father thoroughly and perfectly walks in his ways. The Father knows that he had to forgive us our sins through the sacrifice of his one and only son on the cross because of our inability to truly listen to him. The Father knows that he has to reckon us as perfect listeners of God through the perfect listening of our Lord Jesus Christ. His perfect listening is reckoned as ours by our faith in him. We see throughout Jesus' ministry that Jesus the Son related to his Father in praise. Jesus the Son sought the correction of his Father even though he was perfect and never sinned. Jesus the Son willingly submitted to his Father's will even though it meant death on the cross. Jesus the Son walked in the ways of his Father perfectly, denying every temptation that he faced on earth. Because Jesus listened to his Father, we can listen to our Heavenly Father. We are empowered through the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us to listen to God, to truly listen to God, not just shutting up long enough to hear the words that God is speaking, but to truly take to heart the words of God, the word of God himself, Jesus Christ, so that it might bear fruit in our life and change us. We believe the gospel so that we might truly listen to our Father in heaven. We listen to our heavenly Father so that we might become more like Jesus himself. So let's listen to God because he is the perfect parent. And I hope your relationship with God involves increasingly listening to God. And I hope that your listening to God involves praising God involves being willing to be corrected by God, involves submitting to God, involves walking in his ways, and that for all of us, that our relationship with God is about growing in these ways of listening to God. But I hope you always remember that even our listening to God is made possible by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ because he is the perfect listener and we are considered as perfect in our Father's sight because of our faith in Jesus. May we rest in him and him alone. Let's pray.